The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 13. And by the way, this is going to be a solo edition. Phil Sullivan is on vacation. He's in Florida. He's laying on the beach. As you know, this is your best place for cigar talk as well as Chicago sports talk all in one place. And we'll have some interesting things to talk about today. Please follow us on Twitter at Cigars and Sports. First of all, setting the scene, we are at the Cigars and Sports Chicago studio, which is here at The Place, 5236 Main Street, Downers Grove, Illinois. Come by and see us. I'm sitting back here at The Place in the studio. I'm smoking a San Cristobal Elegancia, and that is appropriate today because we have a phenomenal guest, which is Alex Merritt with Ashton Cigars, and San Cristobal is a Ashton product. So we're going to have a whole long discussion with Alex Merrick from Ashton about Ashton cigars. We're also going to talk about a little bit of baseball lockout, and I will go into a bit of detail of what the issues are. We'll talk about the NBA. We'll uh, recap the All-Star Weekend a bit. Then we'll go into detail on the Bulls and sort of their prospects for the remainder of the season. Can never call it the second half because I believe there's only 22 games left. And maybe we'll even talk a little bit of Daytona 500. You know, most people don't care about NASCAR, but we'll see if we get to it. I don't know. But before we get to any of that stuff and before we get to Alex Merrick from Ashton, we have to talk about Juwan Howard. And if you're a sports fan, you are certainly familiar with yesterday's incident at the end of the Michigan-Wisconsin college basketball game where uh, Juwan Howard decided that it would be a good idea to punch the opposing coach. So first of all, let's talk about what actually happened. There was approximately a 15-point lead. They were in the last minute of the game, and the Wisconsin coach, and Wisconsin was leading, decided to call a timeout to reset because they were about to have a violation in terms of not getting over the timeline within 10 seconds. Well, in terms of the unwritten rules of basketball, I suppose, Juwan Howard did not think that was a very cool thing to do. They were going to win the game anyway. So, you know, why are they calling a timeout? And the bottom line is that he had his backup players in there, wanted to give them an opportunity, you know, to have an offensive set. So he called timeout to set it up. And by the way, he's just playing the game, you know, and Michigan was pressing at the time as well. So it's not like they had stopped playing. So why should Wisconsin stop playing? But anyway, it pissed Juwan Howard off. You know, then after the game, they were in the handshake line and Juwan Howard started trash talking to the opposing coach, put a finger in his face, and then began getting kind of pushed away, separated. He then reached over and punched one of the assistant coaches in the face. And in college basketball, that is just not appropriate. So 
after punching him in the face, which is completely off the wall, unacceptable, you know, really in any major sport, in any sport at all, but particularly in college basketball, where you're trying to teach young men character, Juwan Howard was not exactly sorry for what he did. And let's listen to a minute of what he said after the game. What uh, happens between being upset about a timeout being called and raising it to a point where it looked like you hit another coach in the face? What kind of happens in between to make that happen? Well, basically, uh, you know, I addressed with uh, the head coach that I will remember that because of that timeout and uh, for someone to touch me. And I think that was very uncalled for him to touch me as we were verbalizing and communicating with one another. So uh, that's what ended up happening. That's what escalated it. So, as you can see, Juwan Howard showing no remorse whatsoever. The bottom line is that something bad has to happen to Juwan Howard. He has shown a tendency in the past to get mad at other coaches, to go over the line. And here's the question. The question is, do you suspend him just for a couple of games? Do you suspend him maybe for the rest of the year, including postseason play, the Big Ten tournament, as well as the NCAA tournament? You know, should they get in there because they're a bubble team? Or do you fire Juwan Howard? And actually, I believe that what he did is a fireable offense. So my take on this is probably you don't fire him. I would suggest that the athletic director and the president of the university have a conversation with the guy, see if he gets it, that um, it's not a great idea to be punching the other coach. And I didn't even mention a melee ensued after that, where um, Michigan's players also began punching the opposing players, which just that cannot happen either. And it happened because the coach started it. But I believe that you have to talk to Juwan Howard See if he is remorseful or if he isn't, uh, hopefully get him to see the light that that is unacceptable. My guess is that he will realize that. I then think he has to give a major mea culpa press conference where he talks about the fact that he got emotionally, he did something wrong. Then I think you've got to suspend him for the rest of the entire season, including the postseason, including, you know, the tournament or tournaments and let him sit until next year. Clearly, he needs to get legitimately some sort of anger management training. And I don't think that's just, you know, let's just do that for the optics purposes. Clearly, the guy needs some sort of professional help. And he's a decent coach. He's a very good recruiter. He did a really good job last year. They're not as good this year. I just think that. Based on the fact that Juwan Howard is part of the Michigan family, obviously played there, obviously they've had a relationship with him um, since he was a teenager. And being that we're in this cancel culture world, I don't necessarily think the right move, as long as you get the right response from him, is to just cancel him and fire him. And I don't know whether that will happen or not. But frankly, I would try to rehab the guy get him a little bit of help, have him understand that he, that he screwed up, bring him back next year and hope, you know, put him on zero tolerance and hopefully he'll do better. But, you know, I just had to mention this issue because we were watching the game live, the Michigan Wisconsin game at the place, of course. And this was just absurd in, in terms of what happened. I mean, it was just absolutely absurd. So that I had to just get off my chest. Well, 
Well, if you can hear that, I was just relighting my son Cristobal Elegancia, possibly my favorite cigar in the whole world from both a size, shape, taste. Uh, you know, I love these things. And you know what? It's a perfect time to be enjoying a San Cristobal because we are now joined by Alex Merrick of Ashton Cigars. Alex runs sales for the Midwest for Ashton Cigars. We are very happy to invite him to the Cigars and Sports Chicago podcast. Alex, how are you doing today? Good. Thank you very much. Good. We're glad to have you. First of all, as I mentioned, I'm smoking this uh, San Cristobal Elegancia. Maybe tell us a little bit about that cigar, you know, specifically, and maybe why I might like it. Obviously, uh, San Cristobal is a, an Ashton product, but tell us a little bit about San Cristobal and maybe why I tend to love this cigar so much. So tout your stuff here for a minute. Well, it, it would uh, involve me finding out a little bit more about your palate, whether you like uh, medium body coffees or scotches. The San Cristobal Elegancia is a Nicaraguan offering, whereas anything that says Ashton on the label is a Dominican offering. The Elegancia is Nicaraguan. It's aged Nicaraguan filler. There's a Nicaraguan binder and the outer wrapper is a Connecticut seed that is grown in Ecuador. So many cigars out in the market have that type of wrapper on it, but we wanted to round out our portfolio and that's why uh, it was one of the earlier Nicaraguan projects that we have. All of our Nicaraguan stuff is made for us by Don Pepin Garcia and the Garcia family at the My Father Cigar Factory in Esteli. You're not seeing us on camera, but Alex and I are actually together at the place at the Cigars and Sports Chicago studio. So, you know, he said he needs to know my palate a little bit better. I can actually show him my palate almost about as closely as I do my dentist. But <laughs> considering that I've only brushed my teeth <coughs> once today, I won't do that. Tell us, Alex, for maybe cigar beginners who are listening to the show, could you give us a bit of an overview on Ashton? position in the market, various brands. Just give a sort of Ashton for beginners, if you don't mind. Certainly. Thank you. Um, Ashton has been a primary manufacturer within the and distributor within the cigar industry since 1985, uh, when they came up with the original concept of a lighter cigar offering with the highest grade of tobacco and materials available on the market. So, that was Ashton's philosophy, is that they wanted to come out with something that was of highest value at a fair price. And over the years, it just took off through the cigar boom in the 90s, uh, all well into today with the pandemic. It was a brand that many, many people just continually went for because they knew that the Ashton brand was synonymous with quality. And one thing about Ashton is that every time you pick up a cigar, it's going to taste the way you imagined it. It's not something that varies month to month or batch to batch or consistency. year to year. Correct. It's Consistency is the hardest thing to attain in the cigar industry. That's interesting. And you mentioned 
San Cristobal versus the specific Ashton name. Could you talk a little bit about the various brands and what the differences are? And you mentioned um, Nicaragua versus Dominican Republic. And uh, just to show you that I was paying attention, I wanted to make sure I said that. But maybe tell us about the different uh, different brands and sort of where they come into play, maybe different price points. I know that anything that says Ashton on it tends to be at the top of the market, you know, in terms of price uh, as well, but frankly, well worth it for a whole variety of reasons. But talk about brand and the differences there. So anything that says Ashton on it is made with aged Dominican tobacco from the Fuente factories. So Ashton itself, the Ashton Classic, which is our mildest brand, has got four-year-old tobacco in it. The Maduro has a three-and-a-half-year-old aged broadleaf Connecticut wrapper on it. The Heritage has a blend of six, seven, and uh, six and seven-year-old tobacco. The VSG is five-year-old tobacco. So, when you speak of a premium pricing, what you're what you're paying for is you're paying for the aging of the product. Just like a Balvini twenty-one is more expensive than a Balvini fourteen, you lose some of the material in the aging process. You have to have someone on top of it all the time. You have to rotate crops. You have to make sure that uh, you're fermenting and aging the tobacco correctly. And there's a cost to that. And so that's why Ashton, anything with Ashton on it is just a little bit, you know, more money. Um, It's going to be north of $10, whereas our Nicaraguan stuff is $10 or less. Talk a bit about aging and, you know, how that makes a difference you know, is more aging better? You know, is unlimited aging better? Just, just uh, you know, give us a little bit about on the on the aging process and why that's important. It's imperative in what we do in in the product offering that we have in the taste uh, position in the market. So aging. So for example, if you age scotch, it mellows out over a few years. If you age uh, tobacco, it mellows out. If you age wine, it mellows out. So what I've noticed personally is that with certain cigars, there's two different types of aging. You age the tobacco before you manufacture the cigar. Once the cigar is made, that's when the, the consumer clock ticks. Like if a cigar has been on the market for four years because it hasn't sold or someone's storing it and they're aging it on their own, then I classify that as a vintage cigar. So anything that's been on the, you know, for four years, like if you go out and you bought, you know, a, I don't know, a box of 2016 Opus, um, Eye of the Sharks or whatever, if you have something like that and you're sitting on them now, that's classified as vintage. And you can usually, there's secondary markets for that. There's people that hunt that stuff down and collect it. What I find is that the spices mute down a little bit over time when you age a product after it's been manufactured. When you age a product before you manufacture it, then you know, you're, it's, you're doing it for the aging, you're doing it for taste, and you're doing it for consistency. That's all very interesting. How's business right now? Uh, obviously, you're very close to it being in uh, sales for the Midwest. And, you know, one of the things that we've been hearing from our uh, various guests on the show is that there's a bit of a cigar uh, boon going on right now and that, you know, business appears to be pretty good um, in a, uh, you know, in a variety of places. And maybe there's been some pandemic impact. Maybe that's the reason. But talk to us a little bit about how business is and how has the business changed as a result 
of the pandemic, both in sales, but just in, in sort of everything related to it? So uh, what, what I'm seeing right now is it's still February. So February in the Midwest is never a good month for cigars, as we all know. And I'm sure you can appreciate that when it's zero degrees outside. Um, <clears throat> however, the pandemic hit and um, our company went up double digits uh, in two years, two years, you know, one year, we, I think it was 2020, we were up double digits and then we were up again, double digits in 2021 because the consumption has increased dramatically. When you're at home, you can, you know, open your garage door, you can do your Zoom calls, you can have a couple of cigars. Uh, also, you can bring people over during, during the lockdowns, you can carry a bottle of bourbon, you have four guys, you're social distancing. You know, the original social distancing was cigar smoking. And then, you know, you you have the ability to still uh, get involved with the fraternity and the, and the community of cigar smoking, um, even during the lockdown. What I've noticed uh, because of the pandemic and because of uh, the Netflix Michael Jordan special and because of these uh, young athletes today and because of... Uh, some influence on the media is that we're having a um, uh, younger crowd come in that is still legally of age. I'm talking about, you know, people that are under 30 that are showing an interest in um, cigars, cigar collecting, the breakdown, the components, the lifestyle, the community of it, because really the the brother, no, I, I don't want to say brotherhood because that's not correct. It's more of a... Um, it's just a, a tremendous community, the cigar community. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, what your polit political affiliations are, you know, what you do for a living, you know, whether or not you subscribe to a higher power, all of that is irrelevant. The only thing that matters is that there's a common interest between people. And I find that cigars bring people together. That is absolutely amazing because throughout these interviews, we always hear that as a common theme, people being at the cigar lounge, and it doesn't matter what your background is, or it doesn't matter if you're kind of white collar, blue collar, you know, billionaire, whatever the case may be, that when it comes to cigars, you can just sit down, you have to take some time, you talk about whatever the issues of the day are, there's sort of no status. And if you do it enough, you find out that the people that you smoke with tend to be very, uh, you know, become very good friends. So that is a really interesting theme that we have, uh, that we have found. What is selling best right now during this period? And, you know, you talk about the younger audience, which, you know, we've definitely seen that you mentioned the athletes and, the uh, you know, the Michael Jordan documentary, but now, you know, recently you've got Joe Burrow, who has now become a well-known cigar smoker that by the way, Matt Stafford, after they won the Super Bowl. Every shot that you see of him at the parade, um, by the way, he was morning drunk, but also was uh, walking around um, smoking a cigar. It is becoming a thing. The guest on the on our podcast last week was uh, 
Ike Taylor, who is a former corner for the Pittsburgh Steelers for 12 years, uh, two-time Super Bowl champion, and he's doing a cigar with uh, Howie G Cigars, which we you know, was a very interesting interview, and we had him on right after the Super Bowl. So definitely sports is giving some attention. But what's selling really well now, and maybe what are you finding that the younger smoker is into? Well, um, we're up on all categories across all lines. So consumption is up everywhere. So there's not one thing that's really running away with it. The Ashton Classic has been the staple to our company. It's what we built the company on. And that's with four-year-old age Dominican tobacco with a Dominican binder and a Connecticut wrapper from Connecticut. That's the cigar that you see on the golf courses all the time. That's the cigar you see at cigar bars all the time. That's the cigar that you see a lot of people have in their hand and it's all about consistency and taste with that product. And that's our biggest brand. Now, as far as uh, something new to the market, we have a Nicaraguan offering called the La Roma de Cuba Passion, which uh, just was released in October. And it was a limited availability. Every month we get a little more and every month we put it out there. And that seems to be uh, a brand for the ages down the road. But other than that, it's just uh, it's it's really across all the all the board, the small cigars, the large cigars, Ashton pipe tobacco. I mean, everything is up. That's interesting. You talked about consistency and that being one of the signatures of Ashton. And I have definitely found that to be the case myself. And certainly one of the key components of Ashton or one of the key components of consistency is not only, you know, certainly in the growing and aging process, et cetera, but, but definitely in the construction process. And we haven't talked a lot recently about cigar construction. Could you talk a little bit about cigar construction and how Ashton does such a premium quality job with construction. How is that governed basically? And how is it done? Maybe just uh, give us a couple of minutes on cigar construction. Everything that says Ashton on the band is uh, manufactured at the Fuente factories in the Dominican Republic. Uh, their people are dedicated. There's a group of people that are dedicated just to the Ashton brand. So if you have somebody that's uh, responsible for rolling Ashton double magnums, and there's three or four people that are responsible for rolling them, that's what they roll. And that's all they roll. And then there's uh, intense quality control that um, is um, enforced that is looked at very strongly. And then that's when we put the product to market once we know that everything's well and good. And how is supply right now? Because certainly during COVID and in the U.S. it's better, but, you know, in Nicaragua or Dominican Republic or other places, you know, maybe in a different stage of the pandemic, we have found that certain brands are having supply issues just because, you know, you had a lot of people that had COVID um, or the, the factories kind of reduced capacity at a time when there was more demand. How is uh, How are you finding supply? Have there been any issues? Are there any issues? Uh, give us a little on supply. When it comes to the Ashton brand itself, we didn't have any hiccups uh, during the pandemic, which is probably why we had double digit growth for those two years. Uh, what I did notice is that anything that was in a glass tube or an aluminum tube, like the Ashton Imperials or Ashton Monarch 
or the It's a Boy Cigars, It's a Girl Cigars. Those we had um, um, limited availability on because we couldn't get the glass tubes. We couldn't get the, uh, the, the metal tubes for the cigars. We had the cigars, but we just didn't have the packaging. And that was, that was one of the issues on the Ashton side. On the Nicaraguan side, uh, we did have some supply. We did have some backup because demand was just so high. Um, and it was just a matter of having to go back and, and um, you know, you know, a lot of this stuff, when you're making things with plants, uh, whether it's wine, whether it's, uh, you know, um, cigars, you have to look at forecasting because everything takes time to age to its, uh, the, t- the taste points that we're looking for. So when you're looking at things like 2020, we were forecasting what we could possibly sell in 2020 back in 2015. And that's when we were, you know, putting the orders in and, and putting preparations for. So the fact that we, we did get through um, COVID um, pretty much in, in good shape, in my opinion, uh, granted the Nicaraguan side is something that we're still, you know, catching up on, Elegancia, uh, some of the sizes of regular San Cristobal, the Revelation, Mia Moore, um, but we still managed to come out with uh, the Passion. We still managed to... Uh, provide me a more reserva. You know, we still had a lot of stuff coming out of Nicaragua. So it's, it's a challenge. Um, I, I, I had thought that the issue again was with packaging, um, from Nicaragua as well. You know, the bands, uh, those come from, um, those come from the Scandinavian countries. I'm not sure where, uh, but the bands were back ordered because remember, uh, they weren't cutting down trees for tree pulp for uh, printing and then inks. And then you had to get the ink somewhere. And now you're making the bands for the cigars, you're making the bands for, and the artwork for the inside of the boxes, all that stuff got delayed. So again, we had cigars ready to go in the factory, but we didn't have the um, packaging materials. So if people want to purchase Ashton cigars, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the best way to do that, whether it be at retailers like the place, 5236 Main Street, Downers Grove, Illinois, um, or other retailers, uh, whether available uh, online. Tell us how people may uh, get some Ashton cigars. And also for any of the cigar business people, particularly uh, retailers, cigar shop owners, if they wanted to get in touch with you, how do they do that? All of my uh, information is available on the Ashton website, which is ashtoncigar.com. It'll uh, suggest uh, who we are, and then it'll list all the sales reps uh, for the nation. And then if a retailer is in a certain geography, they just can reach out and email the, uh, the appropriate salesperson and someone would be in touch with them within 24 hours. As far as purchasing Ashton product, Ashton does not sell directly to the consumer. So all of our products are available uh, at brick and mortar retailers throughout uh, the Chicagoland area, Illinois. I handle all of Michigan. I handle uh, most of Wisconsin um, and all of Indiana. That's great. Well, Alex, we really appreciate you guesting on Cigars and Sports Chicago. It's been great having you. I think you gave us some really good uh, depth and detail on Ashton and what makes uh, Ashton cigars great. I know that I absolutely enjoy them, and it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. So thanks very much. 
Thank you very much for having me. So let's get back to sports. Let's spend a couple of minutes with our Major League Baseball update. And yes, it will actually be a few minutes today um, as I am talking to myself with uh, Phil on vacation. I want to talk about the lockout and the detail of it. And first of all, it's really, really pissing me off. First of all, the status before we talk about the issues. Major League Baseball has now said that if the lockout is not resolved by 228, which is a week from now, that the season will definitely be pushed back and you know probably shortened. And if you consider this millionaires versus billionaires situation, which is exactly what I consider it to be, and the fact that they're figuring out a way to divide up $11 billion and most of the people involved in this are rich, except for maybe some of the young players, and I do understand that, and the fact that the players are already getting concessions, if you take a look at the status of the negotiations, I find it to be completely unacceptable. And I will tell you that if this thing is not resolved in a week by you know next Monday, 228, I think we could be looking at a very, very long haul, and we could be looking at missing a lot of games. I am somewhat optimistic that they will figure out a way uh, to get this thing done, but obviously no one can know for sure. Talking about the issues that are in question, um, there's really two sets of issues. One is about sort of the game and the rules of the game and some things to improve the game. And then guess what issue two is? Yes, it's the money. So yes, this whole thing is really about the money because they've already said that they can resolve the other issues. Let's talk about what the issues are, particularly related to the money. First of all, the luxury tax. Uh, for those of you who are familiar, baseball has a luxury tax where when you spend over $214 million in payroll, then the team spending more than that has to pay 50% tax that is put on every dollar spent in payroll over that. It's put into a pool, and then that money is distributed throughout the leagues to the smaller market teams. The players want to move that luxury tax up to $250 million from 214 with no cap. Of course they do, because that'll make the teams more freewheeling in terms of spending. That's issue one. The next issue is the players want the minimum salary, and this is about young players. They want the minimum salary raised. Right now, it's about um, 500, and they want something in the high 600s, and then um, incrementally raised over the next two years, the pre-arbitration years. That's probably not unreasonable, and you figure that they could probably solve that. They also want... And I think this is also a good idea, but the question is, can they come up with the, uh, you know, with the amount? The players and the owners are both willing to do something called a performance pool for younger players who are pre-arbitration eligible. So again, if you don't follow this stuff every day, and I can't give you every detail of everything, but the first three years that a player is in the major leagues, they are there's an automatic amount that they get and their contract is simply renewed for three years. And they could win the MVP. And by the way, this happened once in the case of Mike Trout. It doesn't matter how good they are, they still get that minimum guaranteed amount. So what the players 
have proposed is putting together a performance pool of money where the young players, the first three-year players who overperform their number you know, or overperform um, in terms of performance on the field, but they're making a minimum salary, they would get a piece of that performance pool. So the owner said, hey, that's fine. That's a great idea. Um, we'll do that. But yes, here's where the numbers are. So the players wanted a $100 million performance pool, and the owners have proposed $5 million. I believe since then, it's gone to something like $95 million and ten. but there is a huge gap there, and that's probably the biggest issue right now that they're going to figure out, and hopefully $75 or $80 million between friends. Hopefully, that will not stop them from getting the deal done, but that is um, a, a really big deal, and hopefully, they can get that figured out. The players also want to end the service time manipulation, and you may remember this because in this town that was the Chris Bryant thing where the the issue is that if you keep a player in the minor leagues during a period of time until it depends on it's actually based on a number of days but usually their rookie year it'll be till some point in late May then that year does not count toward their service time so instead of getting seven, six years of control by the team. There's actually seven years. So the players just want to end that whole service time manipulation. And I think the owners agree. That's probably fair. The owners are not going to give in on this first six years of control with um, three years being pre-arbitration and three years arbitration, where they get more of a market salary the, the last three years on individual one-year deals for three years. But they want to end the service time manipulation. Um, the players also want to eliminate draft pick compensation for when a free agent is made a qualifying offer and turns it down to go elsewhere. So in other words, after those six years, the team can offer this qualifying offer to the players, and it's based on a formula having to do with a variety of different things. The player can either accept that qualifying offer or reject it. In many cases, the guys who get to six years reject it because they want to become free agents and they feel that their their market value is going to be greater than that. But when those players sign with another team, they then have the the team that um, that lost them uh, then gets a draft pick in compensation from the signing team. So it makes those players less attractive to sign because you don't want to have to give up a draft pick, which usually ends up being a second round pick. So that's something that it appears also the owners are willing to give on, and it's probably legitimate. And then the other areas that sort of cross over performance as well as money are this whole competitive balance issue. And again, for those of you who don't follow this stuff every day, the way that works is the players do not want teams to be incentivized to tank, or in other words, to lose games so they can get the best pick in the draft. Because when you get the best pick in the draft, even though, yes, it makes you a better team, but it simply gives you a better asset if you're able to get a higher pick in the first round. And as a result of that, a lot of these teams, like the Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, maybe the Tampa Bay Rays are a bad example because they're usually good, but these teams tank so they can get the first pick. So if they're not going to make the playoffs, they're incentivized to lose. 
So the players want a system where there is no tanking and where there is a draft lottery similar to what there is in the NBA, where the, you know, there is, you are not incentivized to be the worst team in the league. And it seems that that's something that can be um, figured out. So, you know, the draft lottery issue, but the, the players just want something where all teams are more competitive. They also want a salary floor where the teams would have to pay a certain amount uh, of, of salaries at a minimum. And again, that just puts more money out there in the market for the players. And, you know, what's going to happen with all of this? Who knows? There's also a variety of issues related to the game, and I would guess that they could probably figure out these issues in about 10 minutes. First of all, the universal DH, and it appears that that has already been agreed to. So pitchers as of this year, assuming that they get on the field at some point. Uh, would no longer hit. So you'd have a DH in both both leagues. It also is good for the players because it gives them an extra roster spot um, on every National League team, which, again, just means that more guys are getting paid. But I think we're all – most of us as fans are fine with that. I'm perfectly fine with it. I'm an American League fan anyway, so I'm very used to it. Then there are things to speed up the game, such as the pitch clock, where there would be a clock by which the pitcher would have to get the ball back and throw the next pitch in a certain period of time. Time, which would improve the pace of play. This has been experimented with a lot in the minor leagues. It sounds like a drastic thing, but it's probably not a very big deal and will help move the game along. Um, there's then another money issue, which crosses over both the game as well as the money situation which is the additional playoff team. So they want to have uh, playoffs in both leagues, similar to what happened during the pandemic year, where there are seven teams in each league. And because that just means more content and more money, you would assume that they will be able to figure that out. Also, because the regular season, though, in baseball is longer than the regular season in any other sport, they want to make sure that there is a way of doing that where you give a substantial advantage to the teams that win win their division opposed to the wild cards. And I think it should be that way. But it appears that some of these issues are getting close, but we will not know until we know. Both the Players Association and the owners have agreed to meet every day this week to hopefully get this thing resolved. Frankly, they've only met four or five times in person during the entire lockout, which started on December 1st, which to me sounds crazy, but I guess you can't get it done until the last minute, or that appears to be the excuse, or maybe that's just the way that human nature is with uh, procrastination and having a deadline, but we'll see what happens. I do have some optimism that this thing will get resolved over the next week, but I will also tell you that if we are sitting here at this time next week and it's not resolved, I would not be surprised if the regular season gets pushed into May, gets pushed into June. I really don't know how it's going to work out, but we'll find out. So hopefully there will be baseball soon. I'm trying not to get too mad about it because I don't want to start the baseball season um, being mad at Major League Baseball, at the players, at the owners, or certainly at the White Sox. But I feel like if they resolve it over the next week, they start spring training pretty quickly. We're going to have this quick period of all these free agents signing, which is going to be just absolutely awesome. Then we could still have a really fun season, but it needs to get resolved right now. So we'll see how that goes. And my guess is the next episode, we'll have an opportunity to uh, to figure that out. So let's talk a bit about the Bulls and the NBA. 
one good thing about this year is that as we sort of go into this baseball lockout and normally right about now we'd start paying attention to baseball and uh, we don't have that right now. All we can do is be mad about it. So uh, we do have the tied for first place in the Eastern Conference, Chicago Bulls, to focus on. They've been fantastic. Related, by the way, to the NBA All-Star weekend, and the All-Star game was last night. And I don't care what anyone says about All-Star games. I find the NBA All-Star weekend to be different. Back in the day, Baseball used to be pretty good, but I've become probably more bored or at least indifferent with that over the last number of years. But call me crazy. I love NBA All-Star Weekend. You know, Friday night, you have this uh, rising stars game with all the various rookies. And I think it's pretty cool that each one of the seven man, there's four seven man rosters and they put a G League guy on each team, which I thought was really awesome. Uh, Io DeSumo from the Bulls um, participated in that and I believe was the only or maybe one of two second round picks. And, you know, he got an opportunity a little bit in there to shine. Uh, he did something, jammed his thumb or something. So hopefully that's not going to be any time missing. But it's really enjoyable because sometimes you don't get an opportunity to see these players and you definitely don't get an opportunity to see them in one place and in one game. So I really enjoyed that. Although, Zach Levine did not perform very well. I like watching the three-point contest, and Carl Anthony Towns won that, probably the first big man to win it in a really long time. I just find it to be uh, extremely interesting. The dunk competition is another story. That that used to be the highlight of the entire weekend and is now probably the low light of the weekend, primarily because the most name guys do not participate in it. And just frankly, many of the dunks weren't that interesting or creative. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I love the all-star game. And much as they do with the rookie game on Friday, they do this thing with the all-star game where when they get to the fourth quarter, they play target score. And you get three quarters of this kind of Harlem Globetrotters stuff where, you know, they're not really playing a lot of defense and there's a lot of alley-oops and, you know, 50-foot three-pointers and all that kind of stuff. And frankly, for the purpose of the All-Star game, because of who you have on the court, I actually enjoy watching that. But the great thing about it is when they switch to target score, these guys want to win the game. There's something on the line because each team uh, gets a significant donation to a school that uh, – so they're representing those kids and the kids are actually at the game rooting for the teams, whether it be you know Team LeBron or Team Durant. I like the way they select the games through that sort of schoolyard selection thing. I also like the fact that uh, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine were on different teams, so you got to see them defend each other. I just think it's really, really fun. And uh, LeBron James actually hit a uh, – hit a walk-off to win the game. And it's just a lot of fun. Like, I just really, really enjoy watching that. And when something's good, I I think it's fair enough that you were, we're obviously always going to complain about things when they're bad, but let's give that, I think a little bit of credit because I think that's a pretty good product. It's fun. So now that the all-star break, and by the way, it's not over because frustratingly and being the load management issues in the NBA, the Bulls do not play again until Thursday. So there's still 
three more days off. And that's probably good. Um, gives the best players an opportunity to recharge and particularly the run that DeMar DeRozan has been on. It might be a good idea for him to recharge. And, you know, now we're going to get Levine back. Evidently his knee is fine. And another issue um, before we go into a bit of the detail about um, the end of the season, you have to be very careful about calling it the second half because the NBA All-Star game um, is not in the middle of the season. It's about three quarters of the way through. In the buyout market, the Bulls just acquired Tristan Thompson from the Pacers, uh, who was bought out by them. And I will tell you, Based on what the Bulls need, I think, once again, that is another great move by AK and Mark Eversley picking that guy up. He's basically on this team going to be a backup big man. He's got size. He's got a motor. He's a really good offensive rebounder on a team that is a lousy offensive rebounding team. He gives you a guy who has won a championship before and a guy who can defend big men. And if you look at that, that has been a real weakness on this team. And, you know, Vooch is obviously not a top of the line defender but when we face these big guys and specifically Joel Embiid who hey if the Bulls have a chance to get to the finals and if they're going to get through the Eastern Conference they need a body they can put on Joel Embiid because they have had no answer whatsoever for him every single time they've played him um, that Tristan Thompson is going to be able to probably give you some quality minutes and put a body on that so I am very excited about having Tristan Thompson the, you know he's not a superstar but He's a perfect fit for what they need right now. So, you know, that's going to be exciting to see him. So the Bulls, as I mentioned, are tied for first, but only four and a half games separate the first through the sixth seed and only two and a half games separate the first through fifth seed. And all of these teams are good teams, whether it be Miami or the aforementioned Sixers or Cleveland, or of course the defending champion Milwaukee. Um, and then you've got Brooklyn who right now is in, you know, is down there in the play in game status. And I think that as soon as Durant comes back and they start winning some more games and, you know, we'll see how Ben Simmons works out with them. Uh, they're certainly going to be in the mix and could be a very dangerous team to play. And also one of the reasons why you want to finish as high as possible because the last thing you're going to want to do is have to face the Brooklyn Nets if you fall into, say, you know, fourth and they end up being the fifth team or whatever the case may be. That is not something that you're probably going to want to deal with. But the Bulls also have the second most difficult schedule by winning percentage of opponents in this last 22 games of the season. They also have 14 of those last 22 games on the road, including a difficult uh, West Coast road trip. So they're going to have to pick it up. Hopefully here in the next couple of weeks, they'll get some bodies back. You know, it appears that Caruso is on track. I guess he's been cleared for basketball activities in about another week. And Lonzo Ball uh, had knee surgery, but it was a meniscus. And we haven't heard anything about him, but you would assume that it's a, a meniscus. And if there have been no setbacks, he should come back at 100 
100%. Certainly both of those guys are going to need an opportunity, you know, to kind of get back up to speed and get their get their cardio back up to speed. But those are probably the best two defenders, certainly backcourt defenders, no question, um, on the team. Lonzo, based on his wingspan and size, gives you a lot of opportunity to defend some of the best wings in the league as well. So need to get those guys back. And I think that if they get those guys back, maybe we'll see what happens with Patrick Williams. I'm not sure what we can really count on him for because I'm not sure that he was really as productive as we would have wanted before he got injured, but certainly much better off having him um, in the lineup, whether he becomes a starter again, not sure. And by the way, it'll be interesting to see if Tristan Thompson and Nikola Vucevic are on the floor at the same time together, because although that is not projected, I think it's a possibility where uh, you could potentially use Thompson um, as a four, but in the positionless NBA, you may not need to use him as that, but it just gives them more bodies, more versatility. Certainly they need to stay healthy beyond that. Um, but, you know, things are starting to look better from an injury standpoint for the Bulls, and hopefully they cannot have any more injuries and, you know, make a run here in this last quarter of the season and maybe have an opportunity to, uh, although it'll be difficult, have an opportunity to win the East. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And certainly over the next month to month and a half, we're going to have some really fun basketball to watch, much more fun than we have probably in a decade in Chicago. Well, we have now reached the end of episode 13, Cigars and Sports Chicago, here live in the Cigars and Sports Chicago studios at The Place, 5236 Main Street, Downers Grove. We will be back next week. We'll see if Phil can fit us into his busy schedule. I want to again thank our guest this week, Alex Merrick from Ashton Cigars. I learned a lot from him and we will talk to everybody next week. So thanks a lot for listening, everyone. Talk to you soon. Sweet blossom, come on under the willow. We can have high times if you look back. We can discover the wonders of nature growing in the brushes down by the riverside.